Stand up on our feet, everybody. Come on. Let's have church this morning. All right.
house. Thank you, Jesus.
Let's put our hands together.
Heavenly Father, we ask, God, that your sweet, sweet spirit that's in this place serve as a reminder of what it's all about, God. It's your presence. We thank you for your presence that's here today. And God, we ask that every day as we make decisions, you help us think about the end. You help us think about what this is all about. And scripture tells us, God, that at the end, we get this awesome, beautiful crown, so valuable. But all we want to do with that crown is to put it at your feet and sing, holy is your name. 
So we don't take this presence that we feel here for granted, God. We know this is what it's all about. This is the reward. You are the reward of our worship, God. And you are honored in this place. Can we give the Lord one more hand clap of praise in this place? Thank you, Father. Amen, amen. Well, we are so honored that you would gather with us here today at Calvary Church. As if, if this is your first time, we want to say welcome to Calvary. It's a packed house, and we love it that way. We love to gather together and, <clears throat> excuse me, and worship the Lord together. So this is your first time. They'll put a phone number up on the screen that you can text the word welcome to. That will send you a digital connect card. That way we can stay in touch with you. Um, also, we want to welcome our online guests. We have an, a tremendous online presence. And so if you're watching with us online, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a part, just as much a part as if you were in this room. So um, we are so honored to have you all. Um, we're going to transition into our time of giving now. And just as a reminder, they'll put up some different ways that you can give on the screen. If you have cash or check or a monetary gift like that, you can leave those in the, the drop boxes that are near the door. Amen. Let's go ahead and bless our offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, so very grateful for the opportunity to sow into your kingdom. It is a principle that you will never reject. That is that we reap what we sow. But God, because of your grace, you can do more with what we put in the ground if we just put something in the ground. So whatever we have to give today, God, we know that if we give cheerfully, you add your grace onto it, God, and you will do exceedingly, abundantly above, more than we could ask, think, or even so. What we put into the ground will be blessed by you, and it will be used to change lives all around the world. We thank you, God, that you work like that. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen and amen. A couple of quick announcements before our pastor comes up today. Um, next week will be our final growth track of the year. It is um, our afternoon growth track from 4.30 to 6.30. So if you are interested in joining the church and serving and being a part of what God is doing here, we ask that you go ahead. You can go online to visit calvary.com and register for that on the events tab, okay? Also, as we come up on the holidays, we have our um, ways that you can be a part on our website on the main page. If you go to visitcalvary.com, you'll see the, one of the latest sermons up top. If you scroll down just a little bit, you'll see a hope for the holidays section. There, that's where you can see there'll be a Thanksgiving tab and a Christmas tab. For Thanksgiving, if you're wanting to be a part of what God is doing, um, there's a couple of ways, two ways. You can actually give monetarily a, a donation to help fund the food that goes into the boxes. Also, there's a place where you can register to be a part of actually um, packing those boxes or delivering those boxes to the families. Um, so whatever you feel in your heart to do, you can do either one of those things. And for Christmas, the two ways you can be a part is they're passing out cards where you can actually um, go shop for some of those specific items on those cards. And also the other way you can be a part is to register um, for the Christmas Day uh, special that they're going to be having at Good Samaritan where you kind of help families and mothers and fathers shop for their kids and help them provide gifts and give them that sense of ownership as they are able to pick out different gifts um, for their kids. The young adults did that with Good Samaritan a few years back, and I'm telling you, it's an incredible, incredible thing and blessing to be a part of. So those are some of the different ways that you can give this holiday season. How many of you know we're blessed to be a blessing? Amen. We're blessed to be a blessing. So that's what it, that is what it's all about. Um, last thing before our pastor comes up, we just have a quick video announcement if you would turn your attention to the screen. Amen.
Are you grateful today? Amen. Can we have any veterans in the room? Can you just stand to your feet so we can acknowledge you today? We love you. so grateful. If you have a Bible today, we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. I want to talk to you from this thought. I don't know if this is the title for the sermon or not, but um, what does my job have to do with this? <laughs> um, sometimes there can be a real disconnect in our hearts and in our minds from the thing that we do to make a living and what we think we are called to do. Anybody ever felt that? And uh, believe me, you can feel that even doing what I'm doing. It's a real thing. And uh, I want to talk to you today about seeing the significance of things that you're doing on a daily basis that maybe you're looking over and not seeing the miraculous in. For a lot of people, your normal is someone else's miracle. And uh, I want to encourage you to see the miraculous in what God is doing right now. I think sometimes we can talk a little bit too much about what's going to happen and not enough about where we actually are. And uh, I believe that we are not just going to thrive, but we have the opportunity to thrive right now, wherever we find ourselves, in whatever job, title, role, position we find ourselves, we can thrive in Jesus' name. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that God commanded Israel to thrive while they were in exile. He said, while you're there, while you are in captivity, I want you to thrive there. I want you to plant your life there. And I want you to enjoy the opportunities that arise there. I want you to build homes there. I want you to be a blessing to the city that is holding you captive. And uh, a lot of us feel held captive in our jobs. And God is determined that he wants us to be a blessing there, even if our job feels like captivity right now. And uh, so I want to talk to you about this. In Nehemiah chapter 6, this is what the Bible says. It says, when word came to Sambalit and Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalit and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalet sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. It is reported among the nations and Geshem. They say it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king 
And I have even appointed a prophet to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. And I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Isn't that funny how most accusations start like this? I heard some people are saying, yeah, you're just lying, bro. You're just making stuff up. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. I love that. I love short, powerful prayers. Didn't take a lot of time. He just said, I prayed, strengthen my hands. A lot of you are concerned that you're not praying well because you're not praying a long time. It's not about the length of the prayer. It's about the quality of the prayer. I love it. Nehemiah prays, but he gets to the point. I just need you to make my hands strong today. In Jesus' name, amen. I just need you to help me right now. Come on, it doesn't have to be complicated. And then he says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, and I went to the Mehetabil, what is this name, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? I tell you what, there is nothing more powerful than somebody who knows who they are. He said, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would not commit, so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed <laughs> on the 25th of Elo in 52 days. In 52 days. Wow. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your house. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you're doing. You're an awesome God. We thank you that when your word speaks of walls and a temple, it's not just talking about a physical place in an old land far away, but we are the temple of the living God. Our our mind is a gate, our ears, our gates. We, we are your city. We are your dwelling place. And so help us to see how important the work is. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Let me give you a little bit of backstory on Nehemiah in case you're not familiar with him. But Nehemiah was working for King Artaxerxes as a cupbearer. And while he is working for him, some friends of his and his brother, they come into town and they share with him the condition of the people of God in Jerusalem. And he, they tell him that the city walls are burnt and the gates are burned and the walls are destroyed. There are holes in the walls. And the city is in chaos because of this situation. 
And the Bible says that his heart is overwhelmed. Now, before Nehemiah goes back to build the walls and the gates and restore the gates, the Bible tells us there's a man named Zerubbabel who has already come with a group of people who have rebuilt the temple and a man named Ezra who has also been sent and he is, he is, he's been a part of rebuilding the temple. But the, the city walls have not been rebuilt. And this is interesting because even though the temple has been restored, the people are still under threat because the city walls have not been destroyed. And so everything that happens on the inside is, is in jeopardy because they are not secure on the outside. Have you, it's, this is the way the enemy works. He can, he can allow you to come to church and have a revival in the house of God. But if you get outside of these walls and these doors then he loves to attack what's happening on the inside. So not only do you need a relationship with God on the inside of the house, you need walls that protect your life on the outside of the temple. Can somebody say amen? Because if not, then everything that happens in here is at risk because you haven't secured what's going on out there. And Nehemiah has this burden and he wants to go back. And what's amazing about this is he doesn't live there. This isn't an immediate threat to his survival. He's got a great job. He's got a great life. He's got influence. But all of this doesn't mean anything to him because Nehemiah shows us a man who doesn't love what God has done for him more than he loves why he did it. Did you not get that? There are a lot of people in this room who love what God has done for them more than they love why he did it. Maybe you didn't care. Let me give it a third time. There are a lot of people in this room who love what God has done for them more than they love why he did it. Nehemiah loved that God had blessed him and had brought him into this incredible place, but he realized that he didn't just bring him there for him. He brought him there for somebody else. And so he was willing to get uncomfortable even though he had a life that was comfortable because he realized that this comfortable life that I've been given was not for me. This was given to me for somebody else. And so I cannot fall in love with what God has done because what God has done, there's a why behind it. And that means that every person in this room that you have been positioned by God for a reason. You are not where you are for yourself. You are there for somebody else. And when you get a hold of that revelation in your life, you will start to live differently. So he realizes, okay, this all happening in my life, this access to the king, this life that I've been given, this influence that I've been given, this is not for me. This is for other people. And so the king sees that he's down and he's not really eating well and he's been fasting and praying he's just kind of in a in a slump it seems and to the king he's been just worried and concerned over this this problem in Jerusalem and so the king finally notices and he says hey what's going on with you and he tells him what's happening with him and the king looks at him and says what do you want and he's able to ask of him all of the things that he needs he gets protection he gets, he gets provision. He gets all of the things that he needs to go home and to rebuild the city walls. Now, this is the third group of people who have returned to Jerusalem. The Babylonians had, 
had held the people of God in captivity for 70 years and then the Persians have come in and they have overthrown them and Cyrus sent Zerubbabel back and he also sent Ezra back and now this king Artaxerxes is sent he sent Nehemiah back and Nehemiah gets back and immediately Nehemiah surveys the land and he gets a group of people together and he, he trains them how to, how to uh, work and how to fight at the same time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got to learn how to work and fight at the same time. But he also had a group of people who, who their only job was to fight. They were barely saved. So, <laughs> anybody got some people in your life, they're just, like, they're just like barely saved. You know what I'm talking about? Like, are anybody thankful for the people in your life who are like, like, you know, I love you, but I will cut you, you know, you know, those kind of people. So he had, he had all different types of people in different positions and they're working. And as they're working, all of this opposition starts to come and they're coming to the end, uh, the conclusion of getting everything finished. And the Bible is, this is where we find ourselves in Nehemiah 6. And the Bible says that the work is almost complete. And these, these men, Sambalat and Tobiah and Gershom, they're, they're, they're wanting to meet with Nehemiah because they think, you know, here at the end, you know, sometimes when a project is, is getting near the end and you're, you're, you're tired, and have, that's why we leave a lot of things unfinished. Sometimes I'm stressed, not because I have a lot to do, but because I have a lot that's unfinished. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of stuff that I'm looking at, and it's like, man, that's going to take time, and that's going to take time. And I, maybe I started too many projects. Have you ever started too many projects, and you can't get to all of them? So you've got a lo- lot of stuff started, but nothing finished. And they're at this place where they're tired, they're weary, they've, they've been really frustrated by the people against them. They've been fighting, they've been working, they've been fighting, they've been working, and, and they're near the end. The, the doors haven't been set, the gates haven't been set, and the enemy comes in with one more distraction. He comes in and he says, hey, um, let's get together, let's have a meeting, and let's talk about you know, everything that's happened. Their, their original ask doesn't seem like that bad of a thing. But I love Nehemiah because Nehemiah had discernment. And I've told you this before, but you need a level of discernment that matches your calling. Because if not, you're, you're going you're gonna to pursue things that God never asked for you to pursue. You're going to go and connect your things to things that God never asked you to connect to. There's a story in the New Testament where the apostle has gone into a community and there's this woman that connects to him and she's running around town and she's telling everybody, this is a man of God sent to tell you the word of God. And every day he gets up and she follows him around. This is a man of God sent to tell you the word of God. And the Bible says that after a while he gets frustrated in his spirit and he realizes that she's saying the right thing, but she is a wrong spirit. And so he turns to her and he rebukes her. And the only reason he was able to do that is because he had discernment. If you don't have discernment, then you'll think that everybody that says they're for you is for you. Oh, man. You ever had anybody come in your life? I'm with you forever. It's a red flag. <laughs> the only one who can say that is God. Oh, he will never leave. He will never forsake. But people will very often leave and forsake. So he, he's, he's trying to finish the work. And they're trying to distract him. And I love what he says. He says something so powerful. 
And it just really hit me just over the past couple of weeks. I've been just really studying Nehemiah, and the story is very familiar to me, but this hit me in a way it hadn't hit me before. He said, he said why would I stop this great work or this great project? It's amazing because how you see what you do determines its greatness. There are a lot of people who were looking at what he was doing and didn't think it was great. But he thought it was. And it doesn't matter what Sambalit and Tobiah think. It doesn't matter what other people think. If you think it's great, then it's great. I, I'm just, I came to tell somebody you need to change the way you talk about what you do. And if you start to change the way you talk about what you do, you will start to see that God is even using it. And I want to tell you this today. I'm not saying your job is your purpose. What I am saying to you is that there is purpose in your job. And I came today to tell somebody who doesn't think what they are doing is great. That if you are there, you are not there by accident. If you are a child of God, he puts you places on purpose. You are planted there because God has a purpose in that work. That work might not be your purpose, but there is purpose in your work. Now listen to me. Proverbs 16 and 3 says, commit your work to the Lord. When I commit my work to the Lord, then I... I connect what I am doing to the work of God. And what it does is it gives, it gives my job eternal significance. And that thing that I'm doing for 40 hours a week is not just seen as a way for me to make income and provide for my family. But when I connect it to what God is doing, one way that you can connect your work to what God is doing is give. One way you connect, then, then your work now has eternal significance. Now you get up 40, for 40, 50, 60 hours and, and you work all of that time and you give into the house of God. And now your money is not going to just provide, you know, for your vacation and for your bills. But now that money is going to help people hear the gospel, help marriages get restored, help addicts come out of addiction. And now what you do on a daily basis... Even if it's just flipping a burger has eternal significance. Every burger you flip is a soul saved. (laughs) You got to change the way you see it. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, it's talking about work. Do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going and I am going... There is no working or planning or knowledge or wisdom. You've got a short amount of time to give God your work. Consider this. Consider that in the New Testament of Jesus' 132 public appearances, 122 of them were in the workplace or in the market. Of the 52 parables Jesus told, 45 of them had a workplace context. Of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts, 39 were in the marketplace. People are like, where are the miracles in church? 
Uh, there are miracles in church. The problem is, is the majority of the miracles that we're supposed to see are not in the church house. They are in the marketplace. They aren't done by your preacher. They are accomplished through your willing work. Come on, somebody. Jesus spent his adult life as a carpenter until the age of 30. Before he went into a preaching ministry, where? In the marketplace. Jesus never pastored a church. (laughs) Uh, 54% of Jesus' reported teaching ministry arose out of an issue posed by others in the scope of their daily life experiences. St. Bonaventure said this. He said, his doing nothing, in quotations, wonderful in his first 30 years was in itself a kind of wonder. Work in its different forms is mentioned more than 800 times in the Bible. Listen to this. More than all the words used to express worship, music, praise, and singing combined. (laughs) God created work. God himself is a worker. John 5 and 17 says, my father, Jesus says, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too am Working. So listen to me. The next time you are tempted to minimize your daily work as anything less than a holy calling, remember that Jesus was a workplace minister as a carpenter in his community. And he's called you and I to reflect his glory in our work. Remember, I'm not saying that your job is your purpose. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to convince you today that there is purpose in your job. God is at work in your work. Remember Jeremiah 29, I I told you earlier before I jumped into the sermon that even in exile, that God had commanded his people to thrive. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, before we get to Jeremiah 29, 11. By the way, I heard someone this week and uh, a pastor said said this and someone sent it to me. They said that um, if we don't start... Voting like our future depends on it. We may have no future at all. And I got so angry when I heard that because I thought, then you haven't read your Bible, Pastor, because my my future is not determined by who sits in a public office. My future is determined by who sits on the throne. And he said that he has a future and a hope for me. Okay. Anyhow, I just thought I'd throw that in there. That was... Okay, got that off. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, he says, he says, while they are in captivity, he says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease there, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Man, if we would take this approach to our job, that I should seek the welfare of the place where God has sent me, even if it feels like exile. Hmm. And how you feel about what you do will determine how distracted your life becomes. How you feel about what you do determines how distracted your life becomes. Nehemiah said, I appreciate the invitation, 
but I've got great work going on. Why would I waste my time to come down here and talk to you? They said, meet us on the plains of Ono. And, and I wonder how many times this week the devil has sent the same invitation to us and we've accepted it. Meet me here. Why, why do you want me to meet you there? Oh, because I want to distract you from what matters. Meet me here so I can distract you from raising your children. Meet me here so I can keep you from working on your marriage. Meet me here so that I can keep you from your purpose. Get on Facebook so I can keep you from contentment. Get on Instagram so I can keep you from satisfaction. And how many times a week does the enemy send an invitation and say, hey, meet me here when the intent is to distract us from the greatness of our work? Meet me here in comparison of your marriage to someone else's marriage, in comparison of, of your spouse to someone else's spouse. Meet me here. No, I'm not meeting you there, devil. I got great work going on here with my spouse. I got a great work going on here with my marriage, with my children. I got a great work going on here in my job. This is the, this is the reply you need to give because the enemy, this is what he wants to this is what he wants you to be, distracted. He wants you to be distracted because the reality is you have a great work. There's no reason for him to distract you if you are not doing something great. Anybody in this room who feels like life is full of distractions, that's because the devil hates what you are doing. He hates it that you are committed. He hates it that you are on that job and talking to people about Jesus. He hates it that you are a light in the middle of all that darkness. He hates it that you are the salt of the earth. He hates it that you are a city set on a hill. He hates that you are doing and taking your work seriously. So he tries to distract you with comparison. He tries to distract you. With fear over the political climate. I had someone call me in tears this week. (laughs) What are we going to do? I'm like, what happened? Did you lose your child? No, man, the guy I voted for, he didn't get elected. What am I going to do? Go back to work. Keep making a difference. This is, this is all a distraction. It's all meant to get you caught up in stuff that is going to distract you from the purpose that God has for you. Thessalonians said, do everything you can to live a peaceable life, quiet to yourself, take care of your own business. And sometimes the enemy gets us so distracted worrying about the business of other people. Y'all are freaking out about what's happening in Arizona. Listen to me. That stuff, it's it's important, but it's not the main thing in your life. The main thing in your life is what what are you going to do with today? What are you going to do tomorrow morning? Are you going to go tomorrow and are you going to be distracted by politics all day that you miss the dying and broken and hurting people that are sitting in the cubicle next to you? Are you going to keep going on about stolen elections and crazy stuff and conspiracy theories and weird stuff on the Internet and the Democrats this and Republicans this and... 
One of the signs of the end of days is that the church will be distracted by fables, fairy tales, and conspiracy theories. It's in your Bible. And we are tripping. And it's like we go, we go every day to a place that has purpose embedded in it. And we're worried about stuff we cannot control. Mm. Oh, man, does, does that matter? Does politics? Oh, yeah, for sure. Vote who you want to vote for. Pray. Seek God about it. But listen to me. If it goes your way or it doesn't go your way, salvation doesn't come from the north, from the south, from the east, or the west. Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. In the Old Testament, they represented kingdoms. Some trust in kingdoms, some trust in kings. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. I'm not going to get distracted by election results when I got people on my job who are dying and going to hell. All right. Praise the Lord. Some people don't want me to pastor a church. You don't have to go to this one. I love it if you did, but listen, if you're offended now, you wait because stay here any period of time. Everybody that's been in this room for any significant period of time has had to get over being offended at me. Uh, Harold, that was a loud amen. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so they keep trying to distract him. Hey, come meet with us. Come take your focus on what you're working at and, and, and pay attention to us. Pay attention to this. He's like, guys. This work is great. I don't have time. They send message four times. And then the fifth time, now they start to get accusative. They're, now they're like trying to guilt him into, well, you know, uh, um, you know, people are saying, people are talking. And then we get caught up in that. You know, Robbie, I, I heard somebody said about you. And I was like, what people think about me, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. I, I love Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, he said, since I cannot govern my own tongue within my own teeth, how can I hope to govern the tongues of others? <laughs> Come on, man. Like, I can't even control me. What makes me think that I can control others? So they said, they said, oh, man, there's all of these rumors going on about you, that you're this and you're that. And man, if you've, if you've never had to deal with rumors about you, then you've never done anything of any importance in life. <laughs> it's just a part of it. It's just, it comes with it. You have to get used to it. And if you, if you don't get thicker skin... When it, when, you're, when it comes to doing what God has called you to do, then, <laughs> then you're never going to be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life because you'll always be guided by people's opinions of you, real or imagined. And these guys are making stuff up in their head. And Nehemiah is like, I love this. What, listen to me. He, I love this because he doesn't even make an elaborate defense of himself. 
He's just like, y'all are lying. <laughs> that ain't true. He wasn't going to waste his time because, listen to me, you don't satisfy people like Sambalit with facts. You don't satisfy people like Sambalit with explanations or evidence. The only way they are satisfied is when you give in to their demands. And Nehemiah refused to do this. Years ago, there was this guy who kept, he, he wanted to meet with me, and I just didn't feel good about meeting with him. Now, some people would think, oh, you're a pastor. You're supposed to take every meeting. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the people that Jesus, like, disappeared when he was in their midst and avoided them. <laughs> we talk about all the people Jesus said yes to, but we, we don't talk very often about the people Jesus said no to. And uh, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I am trying to say is that if Jesus could ignore some people. Okay. So I was just, I just don't feel good about it. And they kept messaging. And I was like, one of the ways I, I test people is just if, if they, whether or not they're just trying to, to get my attention or use my platform. Because a lot of people just want to talk to me because they want me to use my, they want me to get up and propagate their gospel. They want me to to say what's, you know, and uh, so people get mad around here all the time because we won't promote businesses. We won't, you know, I won't get up and put an ad for your company on the wall because I don't know, you could be a creep. I have no idea <laughs> what's going on. So we're not going to do it. So he just kept wanting to meet and he had this proposal that he wanted to make and I was just like, I'm just not. And then finally he, he says to me, he says, don't you know how much money I give to that church? I said, and and <laughs> I said, bro, people like you have come and gone for almost 40 years now. Hallelujah. I could care less how much money you give. Well, he never contacted me again. <laughs> and I just wonder what type of harm I saved myself from because I was willing to, and, and this is what he, this, he was also not just, not just trying to get a meeting with me, but because I wasn't meeting with him, he was spreading rumors about me. And I'm thinking, what kind of harm did I keep myself from because I had the discernment to understand that I don't have to accept every invitation. Amen. Come meet with us. No, I'm good. Oh, you think you're better than us? No, I'm just good. I'm fine. I, I don't need what you're selling. I don't need what you're offering. You've seen enough gangster movies to know if you take that money, they got you. Come on, somebody. And Nehemiah's watched, he's discerned long enough. This guy was in the king's palace. He knew politics. He knew how people worked. He knew how people maneuvered. He knew how people manipulated. And he's like, I've seen these dudes before. When people show you who they are, believe them. He said, nah, man, I'm good. So they start to make up lies about him. He says, I'm fine. I don't even need to really defend that. Y'all are lying anyway. And then the Bible says someone approaches him with a prophecy. Now it's, now it's gone from just like, 
on a human, natural level. Now you're trying to manipulate me spiritually. Oh, man, I've seen a lot of people, especially over the last three years, try to use prophecy to manipulate. Manipulate even God. Like he's supposed to do what we say instead of we do what he says. But so this guy's like, man, uh, there's someone they're, they're coming to kill you. And he goes, hurry, we need to go to the temple and hide. <clears throat> and I love what Nehemiah said. He said, what kind of man do you think that I am? Do you think I need to run and hide? That's some brave heart stuff right there. That's some like <laughs> William Wallace, you know, like ah, something about just, I don't know if it's just that part of me that was made for like the Coliseum and to like, you know, we're all like hoodied out now, you know, like years ago, dudes, I was fighting in Coliseums and killing bears and lions, bro. Guys like me. This is part of you that's just like, I love that because I think in the day we live in, this is what the enemy wants. He wants you to look because things politically aren't working the way you want them to work, or maybe they are, but you still don't like. I read a poll the other day. Someone said 75% of the people in this country don't like the direction this country is going in. 75%. And that can cause a lot of people to just want to run and hide. And the devil keeps saying, telling people. I, I had a couple come up to me the other day. They were, they were talking about uh, duly married. They were just talking about, you know, should we even have kids? Why? Well, we're just not sure about the world they're going to grow up in. Oh, my. Don't you realize that God makes us with the day that we are living in, in mind. In, in the same way, he makes the palm tree with the wind in mind. He made you with today in mind. He knew every wind that was going to blow, every storm that was going to come, every evil intention of the devil, and he made you with all of that in mind. You were born for such a time as this. Why should someone like you run and hide anymore? Run and hide? And then he goes, then he goes, and he, besides, also a man like me, why would I go into the temple? If I run into the temple, I'm just going to die, bro. Like, that's for the priests. It's an amazing thing. I come to you with a prophetic word but I'm prophesying to you something that's opposite of scripture and this is another thing that makes us want to run and hide we live in a world that is telling us stuff that's opposite of scripture it's presenting itself as Jesus as loving as caring as tolerant but it's opposite of the word of God and when it's contrary to the word of God it ends in death not life and you can, you can put all the Jesus quotes you want to on it, but if it is contrary to his word, he would never ask you to do it or approve of it. Yeah. We live in a culture that like 
makes us just want to run and hide. And run and hide where? Just go run and hide in your church on Sunday. Just, just go run and hide in the church. Just go, just go run and hide in the church. The, place, the church was never really meant to be a place for us to just run and hide. The church was a place for us to go run and get equipped so that we can run our streets with the light of Jesus Christ. We might run to here, but we don't hide here. We are hidden in Christ. And so I'm hidden in Christ whether I'm in this room or I'm in my car or I'm on my job or I'm in another country. I'm in Christ. So look at me. Look at me. There is no reason for you, someone like you, to run and hide. So he finishes. The Bible says that they finish, and they finish in 52 days. This was one of the fears that the enemy had, is that the work would be completed fast because they knew if God got involved in the work, then it wasn't going to take as long as it should take to be finished. And there are some things that God wants to do in your life quickly, but the reason it's taking so long is because you're so distracted. What should have taken 52 days has taken... 52 years. Because you're so distracted. Oh, you need me to come to that meeting? Okay, I'll be back. We'll finish later. Oh, I... Oh, man. Scrolling. Oh, man, look at... Their marriage must be so good because they're in a place that looks so good. Oh, man, so we, I'll get to the work. I got to, they say the generation of kids growing up today spends about seven hours a day on their phones. We are so distracted from the work. Not just the thing that we do for 40, 50, 60, 80 hours a week, but that thing that we do when we, open up that door and we cross the threshold and we walk into our house. We sit down and we haven't given our work to the Lord so we're not, we're not experiencing supernatural strength in our work. Listen to me, God doesn't want to just give you supernatural strength to travel the world and preach the gospel. God wants to give you supernatural strength to, to work on cars, to work on deals, Come on, to, to cash people out, God wants to give you supernatural strength. And when you operate in that job, like it's just this thing that you have to do to get money, but it's not got any eternal significance. It's not connected to the plan of God at all. No wonder you're so tired from doing it because God's supernatural strength is not involved in doing it. You don't see it as something that he is doing with you and in you. And so when you get home, no wonder you're exhausted. And you know, the work that starts when you walk in the door of your house, the work of, hey, dad, let's go throw the football. I'm too tired, bro. Maybe later. Hey, mom, can you help me with this? Oh, I'm just so tired. I've been doing this all day. And, and, and let, me, let, me, let me tell you, God wants to give you supernatural strength to do the work that's assigned to you. assigned to you you are wasting all of your energy on things that are not assigned to you and I said I don't have time for all of that I can't meet I've got a great 
work going on. What about the accusations? I don't have time for that. I've got too much good going here. I can't spend my time listening to what people are saying about me. What about their threats? Oh, man, I, 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 I get it. I, I hear it. But, it, but it, I'm, I'm a child of God. I was sent here by God. I'm, if, if, if God is, 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 is in this, then God's going to take care of me. And, and if, if, I, if, I, if I don't make it out of this, then it was my time to go. But I'm not going to live as, as I'm a person who should run. So, Father, in Jesus' name. Help us to see what we do as great. It's great. It's great. It's great. God, you are good. You have good intentions. You have good plans. But help us to see that not all of those good plans and good intentions are somewhere in the future at some other location or some other job or with some other person or in some other situation. <laughs> help us to see that you are good now. Robbie, he's good in the middle of this. In the middle of this. Robbie, you don't understand. I can't stand where I work. <laughs> Robbie, you don't understand. This job has nothing to do with my degree. This job has nothing to do. I, I, listen, I am not telling you that your job is your purpose. I am telling you there is purpose in your job. Help us to see the purpose in what we do. And help us to, find, to, to take whatever we do and commit it to the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Will you stand on your feet with me today? I just want to ask with, as you're standing, every head bowed, every eye closed, if there's any person in this room who would say, Robbie, man, I'm, I'm feeling far from God today. I'm not only feeling far from purpose or far from significance, man, I'm feeling far from God today. And, I need a relationship with the Lord. And maybe you're here and you've never had one or maybe you are here and you want to make a decision to come back today. You'll find that as you make that decision to come back that he's there with open arms waiting on you. And if you're in the room today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and maybe you're sitting there thinking, why should I follow Jesus? Because if you don't follow Jesus, you'll follow yourself right into an eternity separated from God. You need him because he's the only way that you escape eternal punishment for your sin. You need him. And if you're here today and you would say, man, I want to put my faith in Jesus or I'm coming back to God. I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air. and We're going to pray a prayer with you. And I believe that maybe there's not a huge significance in the arrangement of this prayer, but there's a huge significance in the heart of the person who is saying the prayer. And so when I count to three, I just want you to throw your hand up and say, that's me. I'm far from God. I need to be brought near to God through faith in Jesus. One, two, three. Throw your hand up in the air if that's you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Hand there. I see you over there. I see hands over here. Awesome. Come on, church. Let's rejoice together with those who 
are either coming back to God or meeting him for the first time. And let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave yourself for me. I give you my life. Take it all. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sin. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together one more time. Come on, let's sing that song. Sing it Bless you. Have a great day. Change the way you see your Monday. I'll see you soon.